Oh my gosh, lovelies. It is like the universe is talking to me. There's a new flick on Netflix and it's called Don't Look Up. And at the end of it, have you ever had that thing where you can't breathe and cry at the same time? (laughs) It's like the crying comes out, but you can't get the air in kind of thing. They kind of cancel each other out. Oh, well, well that yeah, that's how um, what I was like at the end of that film. I don't think there is a single better portrayal of the state of our materialistic prison paradigm than has been encapsulated in that movie. And maybe why it was so poignant <laughs> was because just before that, I happened to watch the new Suspicious Observers movie called The Cycle Has Ended. Now, that might be, well, they actually say that's the best movie ever made, not because of the special effects, but because of the true, truthiness of the story. So I'm going to put that in the links. You watch that. Then go and watch Don't Look Up on Netflix. And if at the end of it, you think that it might be important that people understand about materialism and our materialistic paradigm prison and the effects that that's having on our world, then do me a favor and share the fuck out of this podcast because, oh my Lord, oh my Lord. You know, I mean, look, honestly, Honestly, I'm, I'm a Scorpio, goddammit, I'm not afraid to die. And I also believe in the continuity of life after death, if you want to call it that. And we'll get into that, we'll get into that, because it is really interesting. But what I don't like <laughs> is wasting things. I don't like wasting good food. I don't like wasting good wine, and I don't like wasting good humanity. That gets me really upset. Especially, I don't like wasting good humanity because of stupid fucking reasons. All right, so I'm going to pull myself together, but I'm just telling you, go watch those shows. Because, wow. But anyway, I'm here because we have a very important task today, and that's to answer (laughs) the question, how are the Egyptians so smart? I get asked that all the time. How were the Egyptians so smart? And until I, until I did this research for Magical Egypt Season 4, I had inklings about the answer, but I I didn't have the complete answer. (laughs) And now I just, it's the easiest answer of all. And the answer is they simply didn't live in a materialistic prison paradigm. Boom. (laughs) They were allowed to look at, research, explore, and delve into everything on the paper. Now, if this is your first introduction to me, then you probably have no idea what I'm talking about when I say the paper. So go check out podcast number two and number three as I really get into it. And it makes a lot of sense, I think. (laughs) But it's part of the answer here. So check out number two and number three. Okay. But getting back to ancient Egypt, again, as Gordon White said, 
We are the most materialistic culture trying to understand the most spiritual culture on the planet and in all time, right? So we're simply not allowed to look in the places that the ancient Egyptians dwelled within to get the answers to the questions that we can't believe that they had the answers to. That's the bottom line. And I'm going to give a few examples of how they were, in fact, able to do the things that they were. Because there is some science, and I mentioned Ingo Swan, and there's a few other people too, Ledbetter and um, Annie Besant, that actually were able to derive information from the white page and at least record it in the black dot right? Get it kind of printed in a book, (laughs) even though as Ingo says, it was swept under the carpet, or as Rupert says, it's considered pseudoscience. So let me get into a couple of those examples for you because they're super frigging interesting. Okay, so first, in today's materialistic prison paradigm, the MPP, let's just call it the MPP, yeah? Might be easier. (laughs) You are not going to find any publicly acknowledged occultist or clairvoyant published in any scientific journal, right? Or print a textbook or win a Nobel Prize, heaven forbid, regardless of their contributions to science. And as we know, this is because of the profound hubris, Brian Greene-style hubris, And, you know, acute myopia within the institutions itself, right? And as a result, talented metaphysical pioneers or occult pioneers have not been credited with scientific discoveries and insights that were ahead of their time. So it is possible, well, maybe not for my audience, but in general, it's likely that you've never heard of Annie Besant and Charles Ledbetter, unless you're a the Theosophist. <laughs> okay, so why am I bringing these two up? So from 1895 to 1933, these two guys, this team, right, they conducted clairvoyant investigations into all of the then known elements and certain compounds, right, like hydrogen, helium, yada, yada, in order to observe the so-called fundamental building blocks that compose them. And they also wanted to see like what their general structure was. So in these days, right, there were no super duper microscopes, right? So (laughs) they wanted to see if they could see what made up hydrogen, what made up helium. So This, when I say see, this involved the apprehension of visual information at sub-microscopic levels. So far beyond the ability of the eyes to perceive nakedly, and again, far beyond the abilities of the technology at that time. So we're talking clairvoyant or psychic perception, or what might be called today micro-psy. Besant and Ledbetter referred to it as magnifying clairvoyance. 
Now, their initial work was published in the first edition of a book called Occult Chemistry in 1908. The subtitle was Investigations by Clairvoyant Magnification into the Structure of the Atoms of the Periodic Table and some Compounds. So, hydrogen, the first chemical atom selected for analysis and possessing the lowest atomic weight was found to be composed of 18 smaller entities. Clairvoyantly, it was seen to consist of six small bodies contained in an egg-like form. Now, according to the team, it rotated with great rapidity on its own axis, vibrating at the same time, and the internal bodies performed similar gyrations. Quote, The whole atom spins and quivers and has to be steadied before exact observation is possible, unquote. Right? Pretty cool. Now, look, I went into a lot of detail there, (laughs) but that was so you could see how detailed they could see. And they also drew pictures of what they saw. And here's something that we might not realize, but in 1895, physical atoms were thought to be the basic unit of matter. They were thought to be the smallest thing. And our team, they saw that that was not true. Now, to me, that is just mind-blowing. And what is more so is that their uncanny precision continued right through the entire table of the known elements at the time. So again, they did all of this before technology. All right, now, believe it or not, there was even an earlier clairvoyant ahead of this game, and his name was Emanuel Swedenborg. Now, you have to go get Gary Lockman's book on him because Emanuel, Emanuel is like one mega interesting dude. But anyway, he taught that matter was made up of a series of particles in ascending order of size, each of which was composed of a closed vortex of energy which spiraled at infinite speeds to give the appearance of solidity. And he died in 1771. Let's go back to Besant and Ledbetter. At the end, there were far too many correspondences between what Besant and Ledbetter observed and what is now known scientifically to dismiss their work. The shapes they described, the facts that they observed isotopes before isotopes were even a thing, and a host of other relevant observations, all of these are ideas that were completely unknown to the science of their day. Besant and Ledbetter were obviously capable of perceiving the fundamental nature of matter using occult means. All right, so let's stop there, shall we, for a second and look at the word the occult or occult. Now, probably, probably not for us dot edge dwellers, edge dwellers of the dot. (laughs) Oh, Lord. But for those well inside the dot, right? The word occult gives them the heebie-jeebies, okay? It like conjures up all kinds of craziness. Well, now that we understand the materialistic paradigm prison, we can see that occult means things that are not allowed in the dot and so are hidden from view. Occult is simply the white stuff, right? It's the white paper. So when you hide your hubby's birthday present because you don't want him to know about it, you occult it right? See, so much less scary. All right, so I'm going to give one more quick example with my favorite Ingo Swan. But we're going to go into Ingo, as I said, in a lot 
more depth. But Ingo, if you don't know, was a, an acclaimed psychic. Uh, he was also an artist and an author. And I think he's probably more or most famous for um, being a co-creator of the whole concept of remote viewing, which is like the ability to see maps inside your enemy's stronghold without being there type deal, right? Like clairvoyantly seeing them. Well, one day he was doing an experiment with a piece of equipment designed to enhance psychic perception. And this machine was called the Copper Mirror Device. And I will post a link to the book here as I'm going to butcher this one too, I'm sure. But basically he sat in this copper box and yada, yada, yada. Oh, and by the way, the instruction for this box was sent by a secret brotherhood. So, yep, nothing to see here, folks, right? Anyway, after a few sessions of sitting in the box, Ingo noticed a thick, dark orange mist forming in the box around him and that there were waves going through it. His hands and feet got itchy and then they got really, really tingly. And so he's like, ah, what the hell's going on? And he looked down to see his hand (laughs) and he was completely shocked. He was completely shocked because he could see the bones in his hands. He could see them very, very clearly, not like in an x-ray kind of way, but like in a like full transparency of his hand, he could see the bones in his hands, right? Now, the story goes on and on, but let's just say that Ingo <laughs> fully understood, right, after this experience, how the Chinese could have made maps of acupuncture points, because he was able to see what he called his own physical neural system within his own body. You have to read the book, it's stunning, but also this kind of insight or sight, right, explains how the ancient Egyptians knew so much about like the sperm, as people like to point out, um, or even more sophisticated than the sperm, um, and as we point out in season two, is how they knew so much about the human brain, right? Not only what it looked like, but its functions, okay? If they had the same kind of perception that Annie, Thomas, and Ingo were able to develop, there was no need to cut into the brain to apprehend it. Let's use that word again, apprehend what was going on there, or down at a microscopic level, or by inference, up at the macro, right? Once you jump onto the white page, you are allowed to explore all the dimensions of human knowing and understanding where science fears to tread. Can one tap into, you know, the Akashic Record? Did the ancient Egyptians talk to the sun? Well, hell, when I was with Rupert, we talked about how the sun was conscious. Ta-da! I mean, crazy, right? Did the ancient Egyptians talk to water? Well, right now today, my girlfriend Vida Austin is talking to water right now. And she has 50 hydroglyphs. That's 50, like, not hieroglyphs, but hydroglyphs, like symbol words to show for it. Can you imagine just how much water has seen throughout the millennia, right? Water's been in every human body, in every ocean, in every lake, in every animal, in every plant. And if it collected just a tiny bit of information from all of those experiences, wow, right? What can water teach us? So then to get back to 
How were the Egyptians so smart? The easy answer is that they were simply outside the materialistic prison paradigm. The hard part is that we are only scratching the surface of what that actually means. Thanks, Ingo. Thanks, Thomas. Thanks, Annie. Thanks, all of you explorers who are out there doing the white page research. But, you know, we need more, okay? (laughs) All right, so go watch those flicks. I'm going to put the links in (laughs) the bottom. And look, I don't think you're going to bore your eyes out like I did. Um, (laughs) I don't know, maybe you will, right? But really, please share these wee talks if you think that they might help, you know, getting some people out of the prison, right? Jailbreak. We need a jailbreak, kids. So thanks for listening and more soon. Hello, lovelies. I am so excited to announce the release of our new film called Heka. Heka looks at the magic of ancient Egypt and how that pertains to the story of ancient Egypt and fills in a whole new perspective that we have been missing collectively for hundreds of years. It features Gordon White, Chance Gardner, Joseph Patrick Farrell, Lon Milo Duquette, Tobias Churton, Graham Hancock, of course, the fabulous John Anthony West, Rupert Sheldrake, Stephen Skinner, Thomas Sheridan, Peter Mark Adams, Thomas Joseph Brown, Aton Veggie, Mog Morton, Bernardo Catstrop, Shauna Home, Mark Passio, John Seraki, and the goddess Joanna Kujawa. I am so incredibly proud of it, and I invite you to come and have a look. You can find a link on MagicalEgypt.com.
material.